0: At the Home Depot, the start of spring means it's time to add Vigoro and Earth Grow colored mulch to your list and your cart. Right now, get five bags at a special buy, just 10 bucks. Mulch helps retain soil moisture in shades of red, brown, or black. Hey, it's nice out. Today is the day for doing and mulching. With Vigoro and Earth Grow colored mulch, five bags, 10 bucks only. At the Home Depot, more saving, more doing. Color selection varies by store. Limit 60 per customer, continental U.S. only.
1: Hello everyone, this is Pam of Café con Pam podcast, the bilingual podcast where we feature fearless Latinas, Latinos, Latinx, and minorities living in the US and we discuss issues that affect all of us. Welcome to episode number 17 of Café con Pam. In today's show, we have a conversation with Mariano Diaz, who is the lead partner of R&M Consulting Group. Mariano has over 35 years of experience of nonprofit management and development, including strategic planning, program design, and evaluation, and fund development in the areas of comprehensive community development, affordable housing, health access and service, youth, and child development. Hi, Mariano.
2: Hello. How are you? Thank you for having me.
1: Thank you for coming. Mariano is also Mariano's dad, (laughs) who's been on the show twice, and he... Mariano's son and I were talking and he was like, just talk to my dad because he has a lot of things that he can share with your listeners and they will enjoy. So I'm glad that you're here. Thank you for
2: coming. I'm really jazzed. I was looking forward to it. This is my first podcast. So, nice. Yeah, it's a lot uh, of fun. Yeah. I have I've, I've been. I listen to a lot of them, so, so this is good.
1: Glad. Okay. So the first question that I ask my guests is, when was the last time you smiled at a stranger?
2: Today, about an hour and a half ago gas station.
1: Okay. You know,
2: when you're you're standing out and you're pumping gas and then there's somebody right across from you and it's kind of an awkward space, right, because yeah. you, you're feeling your gas tank and, you know, and it was a dude, okay. right? So, so you know, you, that's got its whole protocols, right? right. You know, so uh, he looked up and, I, you know, hey, what's happening? You know, hey, what's happening? Right. I so, say. well, yeah, you recognize space, right? Space issues and, you know, we're, we're doing... The thing, we're gassing the car, but right? It, you know. You're so
1: close and so far at the same time. Yeah,
2: You know, because it'd be more awkward not to recognize or say something to somebody who's like right there, right? Because right. then, right. It, then that you know, it's got other implications, like you know,
1: that weird. And then you feel the, the weird energy, the awkward energy of like, oh. is it
2: dangerous? Did I just offend? Right. You know, uh, I should just get in my car and drive away. You know, <laughs> I know. so I just rather just you know say, hey, what's up?
1: You have nothing to lose, right?
2: No, um, and everything to gain.
1: Yeah, because you never know. Okay, very nice. I I don't think I've ever had a, list, a guest that doesn't say today. Everyone, I feel like everyone smiles at a, at a stranger every day.
2: Yeah, you know, uh, that's an interesting question because I think that unless you make that part of your practice, you yeah. don't realize that it is a practice, right? Yeah. You really yeah. got to kind of think about it yeah, and then get, be willing to be rejected.
1: Absolutely. I, yeah. And think, also be willing to get some weird looks because, then, for example, me, men think that I'm flirting with them, and I'm like, mm, no, I'm just trying to be nice and friendly.
2: Well, yeah, but you, you yourself as a woman would have to. I mean, that's a different set of priorities, right? right? Uh, if I like mentioning to you that I smiled at a dude, you know, does that mean I'm gay? You know, what I mean, what what do I want from that exchange? So, yeah. so other than the recognition that you're standing literally two feet from me, and we're standing here yeah. taking up this mutual space, I rather. And I think people recognize right away. It's like, okay, you know, we're just that was being, it. we're yeah. just being respectful, and yeah. yeah, we're being cool,
1: and having the resp- i guess taking the responsibility of leaving it there, not yeah,
2: yeah, you know, or talk about the or talk about the weather or the price <laughs> of gas or you know what kind of car you got, which I'm <laughs> hoping to do, right, up until the time my gas tanks full.
1: Yeah, right. Okay, so Mariana, you've you have a lot of experience in the nonprofit sector, but before we get into that. I want to know there's my dog I want to know basically your background story so before we started recording you told me that your your mom was born in Oakland
2: right she was a so uh, third generation third generation chicano
1: okay in
2: California okay. and I and that's kind of the emphasis in terms of just kind of the work that I do now why I do it why I'm I'm excited about it again and um, it's how I got started as a chicano right Nice. And that activism and what it led to, the kind of career, why I went to school, you know, uh, why I made the choices that I did. Mm. And then now, you know, looking at, you know, 2017 and that whole question of Latino activism, okay, which is great as a category, right? But, and that's a result of the activism, but that's not why I got started. Right. Mm. So to come back and say no, really, there is something to talk about being Chicano from the Southwest, right? Yeah. Because San Diego is, you know, had its beginnings in Chicano activism. Yeah. Right, and that's real important. So I don't get to talk enough about that in in my in context because people, you know, and I was telling you about you know my working with my son as a millennial. And he has he's had to sit through all of that, yeah, right? you know? yeah, for sure. No, this is where this got started, right? <laughs> right. I know that doesn't yeah, no, right. matter, you know, why <laughs> nobody cares because it's easier to, because you want to be inclusive, right? Yeah. So saying that you're you're Latino, well, then you include everybody in the room. But then, right. as you know, when you talk with other Latinos, then well, no, soy colombiano, soy puertorriqueño, it breaks out, yeah, right, and yeah. it has to, right? Because no, I mean, I I don't eat, you know. Pinto beans, I eat black beans, right? Yeah. And so you that's where the nuance and where it gets fun. But now being older, I want people to know know that I got started and what I'm focused on is Chicano activism. Right? Okay. And there's a reason for that. And if anybody is interested, anybody cares, they can ask me. If not, I'm okay with that, too. You leave it at that. I'll leave it at that.
1: Okay, so your mom came... I'm sorry, your mom was born here, and where did her parents come from? Um,
2: my grandfather, her father, Mariano Medina, uh, came from Mexico uh, as part of the, the, the migration after the, the revolution, right? Where it just was... There, there was a lot of turmoil, a lot of chaos, um, he came uh, to find work. I mean, and again, that's the border so was very well. The border was very different. You know, super open. Yeah, very open. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's what people, you know, failed to remember in our right. shared history with with uh, the United States, all this was Mexico, right? And
1: Yes, I think know, that's something that people don't remember.
2: Yeah, my grandfather didn't get wet. He didn't swim. He, I, mean, <laughs> walk, I mean, that's what I'm saying. I mean, yes. the, you, know, we, you know, everybody's a wet bag and you're swimming everywhere. No, man, we, that, was, we that was a natural migration, yes, right? You yes. followed the work, you followed yeah. the crops, and when you were done, you went back. If you wanted to, if not, you stayed. So he came over and... Um, we settled in the San Joaquin Valley because that was just where a lot of the farm work was, right?
1: Okay. Right
2: up along through, you know, from what, Bakersfield, mm-hmm. Fresno, Madera, all the way to Sacramento. You followed the crops up and down. And, and
1: to this day, there's still a lot of oh, farm that,
2: work. Oh, I'll, yeah, that's still probably the biggest, you know, uh, food basket. I think mm-hmm. I read in a in statistic today, we are the third, no, we're the, we're the, the second largest contributor of food to the United States. Wow! The San Joaquin Valley. Right?
1: Interesting.
2: Oh yeah, I mean, so it's down to uh, you know who picks that food. You right. know, I mean, and when and how does it? How do how do you pay for an apple or a papa and not have to pay premium prices? Right. right. So all of that economy. Anyway, my grandfather um, had um, ch- his children, and um, um, he moved. He moved from the valley when my mother was still a, a young woman because he wanted to be part of the urban center. You know, he didn't want to be a rural worker, okay. right? Because you know, it's hard work. Yeah, you know, digging ditches kind of. Gonna, hard work. So he moved uh, my mother to um, and left her brothers in the valley and moved my mother to Los Angeles to the garment oh, district, right? Oh. Right, so so we lived uh, right in that garment district when it was a a lot of work. She was a seamstress. Uh, He worked uh, uh, as a cook in the LA LA Athletic Club. Okay. So he was part my grandfather.
1: Okay.
2: So he was part of a of a a circuit of cooks that were super groovy. I mean, these guys were, you know, uh, the the cream of of Mexican. Uh, uh, middle management, right? Because they were the cooks, yeah. And and they all partied together. They they went out on Saturday nights on Broadway in Los Angeles. Wow. And, oh yeah, it was super. So it was groovy. just
1: him and your mom, or? it was
2: my it was uh, him and my mother. Okay. And then I came, um, then it, my older sister, and then me, and that was it for for a number of years until my mom uh, remarried, and then she had. Okay. Uh, um, three children through, through somebody else. So there's been five of us over the years, uh, as a, as the diaz Medina family, you know, okay. in Los Angeles, right?
1: Okay. So then your mom stay there in LA?
2: Yeah, we, we made our home in Los Angeles, which was a big split because her brothers were all in the San Joaquin Valley. Yeah. In the Valley so State. they followed very rural, um, Careers, mm. right? Uh, her brother ended up working for the San, uh, the Southern Pacific Railroad, but it was still rural. I mean, they were picking up all of the 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 uh, food products and oh. running up and down, you know, the the state, and then eat uh, to the east, yeah, right, delivering, you know, uh, strawberries, everything that was being grown in the valley. And she grew up a, a very urbanite, right? A single woman in Los Angeles. So Mm -hmm. her her career, and that was a big split, you know, between our family because we were very urban downtown. They were very uh, rural, right? So my mother used to send me, well, my grandfather used to send me every summer to Fresno to pick grapes and fruit because, you know, they wanted me to know what, agricultural was like, work yeah. was like. Yeah. And then you um, used to tell me, but I said, no seas pendejo, right? Because if that's the kind of work you want, you can stay there.
1: Wow. Right. You know. That's and, so interesting. And have
2: you ever, you ever, you ever picked fruit?
1: I, I have not myself, but I was a migrant recruiter for the school district.
2: Well, then you know. So I my mean, job
1: was to go to the crops and talk to the migrants and- and basically get their information so they could get services.
2: Right. Well then you so know it's very, it's very it's oh very, very, very hard it so, work. It was, yeah. It's hard on the families and I did that.
1: Physically hard. Like oh, I yeah. see people with they had so many back problems because they're bent over picking
0: yeah, it was and a, it long was, hours.
1: Um, strawberries, but I went. I think. Oh my
2: god, that's yeah. the hardest. Yeah. So I did that for you know, you know, uh, and I just said no, Charlie, I'm not, I'm not going to work. In <laughs> Bye. The- I'm not, I'm work- well, I mean, you no, 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 and besides, you know, I was super cool, you know, young Chicano in L.A. Yeah. Right. You yeah. know. Uh, although I appreciate the time I was in. Sanger, Reedley, Parlier—all those small communities—because wonderful people, yeah, right. And uh, that
1: built you. That, that's part of your. Yeah, story. Yeah, I
2: mean, you—you you, you get to, you know, my relationship to animals, my relationship mm, to food. Yeah, you know, my Theo saying, "Okay, go get a chicken from the coop. That's going to be dinner." No.
0: Right? No. Yeah,
2: so so I'm like, what is what does he mean by that? Right? They go pick out up, you know, uh, in one of the, the 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 hens, right, and then give it to my Theo, and then and then, wow, man, you know, her, you know. Take off its head and then tell me, okay, I'm plucking. And then literally within an hour and a half, it was on my plate. Wow. And that was chickens, rabbits, all that stuff. They used to grow their own food.
1: Oh my god! Yeah,
2: so that was heavy because and this I, is
1: here because I feel like you know the stereotype of like you know those things happen in Mexico or like those things don't happen here, but this is here.
2: Yeah, well, even in every, well, even in Los Angeles, right? Yeah, everybody had their little habla in the back, right? Their chickens <laughs> and stuff, right? You know, and so now I had a, and then I had a greater respect, right? Okay, you know, you're you're it's. People did it to offset the cost of their food bill, right? You know, you had something, you know. Which
1: is completely smart. Yeah. If
2: you didn't get paid that week, you you know, you had a couple of chickens in the back. There you are. You were going to eat, right? (laughs) But I think I appreciate that value in the sense that, you know, I believe that if everybody had to kill to eat, I think 80% of Americans would be vegetarians. It would be very, very easy to convince people. Absolutely. Right? Because, you know, you got to sit there and pick the feathers, clean it out
1: it It's true, because I recently was in a farm where they have chickens, and my job, <laughs> quote, was to to pick up the eggs. Mm-hmm. and And you do find this sense of like just respect for the animal because they're providing you with what's serving you to survive. And so, yeah, it was it for sure. Like now, after well, first of all, after you have freshly picked eggs, it's like you taste another egg and it's nowhere near. Right. But you do, like, now I'm so much more conscious, like, it's, it, it makes a difference.
2: Well, I've always used to say, I mean, uh, and I, I, a lot of my early career was in, how I got started was in preschool, de- designing bilingual preschools, right? And a lot of it for uh, children of, of Mexicanos that lived in, in our communities, right? And... Um, so everybody had that background. So we've we had potlucks and stuff like that. It was really so interesting. Fresh. Yeah, <gasps> what what would people would bring, right? Oh you know, or they couldn't pay, right? So yeah. they would they would you know make a cake for everybody yeah. using fresh strawberries and yeah. stuff like that. So
1: and that's so good.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, again, but it's organic because mm-hmm. that's what that was what was around, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. And, uh, and yeah, no,
1: to think that organic, is cool.
2: Now you're paying <laughs> premium prices for organic. For
1: right? organic. <laughs> Let's start a movement, people. Let's grow things in our backyard. There you are. <laughs> all right. Oh my gosh. So, you have a, a super cool story. So, let's talk about the Chicano movement. So, you grew up in the, in the, when it all basically happened, right?
2: Well, that for, yeah. I mean, um, I grew up in Lincoln Heights. Well, we lived in a number of different places in Los Angeles, but um, the, I was in, uh, and this is 1960. Eight, 69 70 right that 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 period and when I was in high school I was at, at that point a long-haired rock and roller and um, the chicano movement really had already started you know the the brown Berets yeah. you know the August 29th had already happened so there was a lot of of activism based on the Vietnam War right okay. because before then and I think what you know, I've told this to you know, m- you know, my son's generation of men and women was that, you know, the Marine Corps used to come to my high school like every quarter, right, to recruit, right, and and they used to put all of us in the in, the, in an auditorium in these these Chicanos in these uh, the military uh, blues, the Marine blues, beautiful, beautiful u- uniforms, and come in there and they would talk to us, you know, about you know the opportunities in the Marines and. And they knew exactly who they were talking to mm. because as Chicanos in L.A., we all had, you know, that Azteca warrior yes. wannabe, right? And yeah. And we were organized in gangs. We, we we knew how to fight. You know, we knew about honor.
1: What a strategy.
2: Oh, it was perfect. And in fact, you know, what I later learned was that those uh, recruitment efforts were specific using Chicano Marines and Army Veterans because <gasps> they knew how to recruit us. Because
1: they look like you, right? So It was more familiar. Right. It was easier. Right. <gasps> and,
2: they would, and they would. And we're saying, you know what? You know, we're part of combat units made up, you know, majority Chicanos.
1: Marketing. Right? Hashtag oh marketing. yeah.
2: <laughs> so so and and well, but then the Marines and the Army realized, you know, that if you were going to recruit a young person to go across the world to fight somebody they didn't know. Recruiting urban Chicanos was really the way to do it because uh, we knew how to do that. Yeah, I you mean, were we organized, we, like we were exactly. organized like that. Yeah, and we relied on it, on each other. It was chicanada. You you know, we were going to take. We're all going to go back home now. Whether or not all of us were ready for what all that reality was right. was different because we were coming home in greater percentages dead than other 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 counterparts. So, so in the early days,
1: was it because yeah. they they put them in the front?
2: Well, because they wanted really aggressive combat units, right? I mean, and huh. so are you okay? You get, you know, I'm, I'm not begging on white homeboys from Arkansas. I'm just saying <laughs> if that wasn't, if they're rural young men, I mean, they just didn't have the orientation.
1: Well, and like but you said, the demographic was already of fighters and, and warriors exactly. and like, and ready to... Fight for the
2: country, right? So we were we had pre readiness skills, yeah. is what I called it, right? Wow. So when you trained, okay, you no, know, and you had these guys that would pick their units of so young Chicanos, because not only were they going to be successful in what they were being asked to do, the propensity to come back alive was greater because they they didn't question that there was somebody there that was going to they no I'm I'm, yeah, I, no, gonna I'm fight a, I'm going to we're going to go home yeah, right yeah and so. You know that was the the utility that the Chicano, the urban Chicano had. So uh-huh. that was my introduction to to that, and that was my environment. So that when we started to understand in the movement, it was really about why we were protesting against the Vietnam War because we were there disproportionately than anybody else.
1: Oh, right. So, that's okay. that's that's what the
2: motivator was, and so. So, um, so you, did you serve? No, I, my, my year, I, we were the first year to come up with a lottery because oh, remember, okay.
0: be, because
2: remember, because of the, the movement overall, yes. the, the movement really got started was when white boys in college lost their college deferment,
0: huh. right?
2: Because if you were going to college, right, which, you know, most of us weren't, right? You got a college deferment. Well the war escalated and they needed more bodies. So they pulled the college deferment, which meant all those white boys were now eligible for the draft.
1: Wow. So
2: when you started sending Jimmy and Joe, then parents got really, I mean, they became active, right? Right. So then they instituted the lottery, which was, yeah, by your birthday, if they picked your birthday out of a little ping pong ball, then it would prioritize from one to 365 where you would be drafted. And I think I came up like, uh, my number was like two hundred and sixty-five. So if you were number one to like say a hundred, you were going go. to
1: go. You mm. were going to go.
2: So that was that was the the basis of the Chicano movement. Which again, you know, and we were talking about previous generations. I mean, if you look at at the armed conflicts of America, you know, the Second World War in Korea, mm. a lot of our activism came from you know those those mexicanos before because you if you were killed in combat you couldn't be they were discriminating that you couldn't be buried in the national cemetery (gasps) right so organizations like the gi forum yes lulac that's how they got organized was was wait a minute we're good enough to go and die you know no we want full we fought with full rights we want burial rights we want recognition and that created
1: Fairness.
2: Well, yeah, the equity, right? Mm-hmm. And so that was the 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 underpinnings of the Chicano movement in the sense of Vietnam. Mm. Right? No, this is the same juego, guys, and it would tell us, no, that's how they're playing you.
1: Wow. Right.
2: So I mean, getting to our conversation, one in one History
1: generation. Is now.
2: Well, every generation influences another. Now, whether or not you're the younger the millennials, you know, yeah. my business partner is a millennial. That's the challenge, right? Because you, you reject that older stuff because <laughs> that's old, right. right? And so, But we you, have
1: to think that, that they kind of paved the way of, of fighting for what's right to do.
2: Well, and we're seeing it now, yeah. right? Because now you have, what, you know, 14 years of Afghanistan, mm. Iraq, all that craziness. And, uh, you know, now it's, it's not, you know, it's, it's a volunteer army. Yes. But if you look at who, in, and in San Diego, right, we have a we're a military town. You look at who who is represented there. It's it's again, you know, Latino, Black, Asian, mix, men and women, yeah. families, right. Yeah. So it's a whole different scene. But again, they're the ones overrepresented fighting these conflicts. That mm-hmm. that who gets to who's who's picking what we're doing there, right? Yeah, and you, you got to go. So it's it's got a whole new significance to it.
1: So, so interesting. All right, so you grew up in the Chicano movement, and then this is still in L.A.
2: Still in L.A. um, I was in Ben Franklin High School. Um, I wanted to go to college. I had a counselor named Mr. Wright.
1: Did your mom or anyone in your family go to college?
2: No, nobody had ever graduated from high school before. Wow. No, nobody had graduated high school before. Wow. Right? Okay. So that was going to happen. You know, I I like school. I really enjoyed... You know, the, the you know, um, the academics. And, that, you know, I don't mean that in any, you know, huge sense other than I like to read. I had a library card. I was active reading. It was a, a good escape for me. Do you
0: um,
2: think
1: what your grandpa told you influenced you or was that? Oh,
2: yeah. Well, it, well, it was, well, because then um, my grandpa and I were, were really tight because he was non-English speaking.
0: Okay. So I was
2: his interpreter. Wow! Right, so I got to hang with him, which is a, another big thing, right? I got to hang with him, represent him, at, you know, the different departments that he had to yeah. deal with and stuff. Um, so, you know, my knowing how to read and write in English was real important mm. to his and survivability, right? Absolutely. In fact, he loaned me out. I mean, there was other men who had like, you know, DMV, you know, hospital contacts, you know, social security, all that kind of stuff. So he would say, no, you know, you're going to help, you know, Fulano, right? And we'd go together and I'd do it. And they were always really good to me because they were all, remember, I told you they were all cooks. Yeah. You know, take me out for a cheeseburger and a Coke, man. It was like wonderful. And I got to hang out with these older men.
1: So you learned a ton. I learned
2: how to, you know, how to dress, how to be, how to, you know, you know. Connect to to my Mexicanoness, mm-hmm. but always being aware that looking at these older guys and thinking, you know what, if you don't know how to read and write in English, yeah. if you don't get with this program, you're screwed, yeah. homeboy. I mean, yeah. you're you know you gotta. Cause, but, but but then again, that's what I'm saying. That that generation, everybody was gonna everybody was gonna go back to the rancho
1: eventually right. yeah, uh, yeah yeah no no they just, this we just is came my, to work here
2: yeah they just came to work you know mexico lindo and i'm like you know bag that shit man you know <laughs> you're not ever going to go back i mean Let's be real know, yeah be real i mean they had their women here they had their, their casa chica here right you no know, be real i just i just met your girlfriend man And she wants oh a new my dress God. You're not going home. But I mean, the the reality of that in terms of romanticism that we're going to go back to our home country. That's a whole other
1: podcast.
2: That's a whole (laughs) other thing, man. Wow.
1: Which still happens today.
2: Oh, it does, and some and, and people I think are smarter about that. If you're going to go home, you have a time frame. Mm. You're going to do it. You 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 make your coin and you buy your your property or whatever that you're going to do by yeah. your truck. You and hustle you, and you go, and then you go. Yeah, right. I think people are being much more smarter about that now. But those who don't have, come here with a plan,
1: yeah,
2: you know you you know you fall in love, you get married, and or then you end up with
1: two p- families and what do you, you do? No, yeah, there you are. Okay, that that is a whole other podcast. <laughs> so you got that influence from the older guys because you dealt a lot with your with your grandpa, and then you decided to go to college.
2: Well, I I, I wanted to go, so I was I met with my counselor, Mister Wright, and I had, and then you know he had told me, look, he closed the door and said, look, you know you're one of five kids, your mother's on welfare, you're a C plus student, you're a good guy, but you know. You don't have, you know, what it takes, right? Wow! So it was interesting, is that the Chicano activists had uh, had an outreach program? They were going to different high schools and they were asking counselors who's expressed an interest, huh? Right? And I remember being called out by these Chicano activists from that were from Cal State Northridge, okay? Right, San Fernando Valley yeah. State, right? And they said, "Well, we heard you want to go to school. We're here to help with an application." And I said, "Well, Mr. Wright said that he goes, no. I, remember he, I remember this. Mr. Wright is wrong, <laughs> right? We're here. We're going to help you. You're going to do the work. We're just going to help you apply."
1: Okay. Right. And
2: so I applied and, and I qualified for you know for for financial aid, and I got accepted to Cal State Northridge. Wow. In nineteen seventy one.
1: What was your mom's reaction to you?
2: Everybody was shocked. She was I think she was really upset because again I was the oldest male of, of the family.
1: And you were supposed to go work.
2: Right? I was supposed to work. Yeah. And so that was the deal. Yeah. And uh so I said, Mom, I you know, I remember that was a Always real steady. that was a, that was a big transition because I said I I have a chance to go to school. And, you know, I know that you need me and but you have to let me go. I, I would ne- I'll never be happy.
1: Wow. If I don't get a
2: chance to go to school. Was it hard? Oh yeah, yeah. We all suffered for that decision in the sense that, you know, economically I was not going to be contributing, right?
1: Right. And so they Michael, all th- like,
2: yeah. Who was going to? Oh, you? and she took shit for it from her from my Theos, right? Bet. Oh my God, like, you know, you know, uh, you, your son's out of control and. You know, he's a long-haired, you know, I mean... Uh, no. Oh,
1: claro, because you had yeah, the, yeah. the rock I, and I, was, I,
2: I was now a Chicano activist rock and roller, right? Oh,
1: my god. So I was, you know, my... All teo- of the bad things. Oh, yeah, they hated <laughs> me. They,
2: and they put up, they put my mom through a lot.
1: Wow. By
2: letting me get out of that responsibility that I had to take care of my mother, who was alone with four kids.
1: Wow. And what happened to your dad?
2: Um, my my father left when I was an infant. Okay. Uh, so I never... I never I never Oh, and she her. got married later. She got married it. my stepfather, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then that didn't work out. So okay. then, uh, she never remarried after that. So it's so been she's a single mom. Single mom, uh, working two jobs. You know, she you know she went to the fourth grade. Um, my older sister worked hard and 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 dedicated herself to helping our extended family. I don't think we w- we would have made it had we not stuck together in in that Absolutely. way, right? And they allowed me the opportunity to to go to school, and wow. uh, and, and really always encouraged me to do that. So, so it's your
1: sister and then you.
2: It was my sister Antonia, me, my brother Dominic, Priscilla, and Silvano. They're the youngest the after one. me, right?
1: What did, and your sister didn't go to school?
2: No, she got a job. Uh, she fell into a, uh, this is, <laughs> this is the telephone system, you know, the PBX stuff. So she yeah. got a good job doing. Telephone repair stuff And then she got a job Interesting Yeah So she was one of the first Kind of huh. women Who actually were doing Phone repair And systems repair So she got You know She made a really good living You know Very hard I mean she was the one That would You know Dress in the belts And go up poles and, Wow You know uh, Crawl underneath Wow Oh yeah For and a
1: woman During that time To do that kind of job
2: Yeah No, she's, no she she, she, paid, she paid her dues And yeah. so um so so I mean everybody had that you had to you know you had yes. to have that entrepreneurial spirit to to work so that was kind of how that transitioned and then I went to at Northridge and then I transferred to UC Santa Barbara and which uh both Cal State Northridge was pretty much the the one of the better Chicano studies departments at that time. That and that's was what you wanted to go do. Well, well, no, actually, it it just they were because they were the ones that recruited mm-hmm. me, right? You know, that's what you you go with the program, right? right. And, and at that point, the the spear of the Chicano revolution was going to be that we had to be educators.
1: Oh, right? yeah. But no, was, so you could okay. Right. So you okay. you
2: be, you become the next generation of Chicano activists to teach to teach in in public schools to actually change the conditions of dropout rates and illiteracy. Huh, so the the vanguard of, of well, the vanguard of the revolution was that the first thing we had to be as educators to actually be in control of the curriculum the youth. And, yeah, oh. of the youth. So smart. Well, I mean, you know, the, well, there were smart people. I mean, there were actually people thinking about okay, this is how you change. This is how you you create system change. Yes. This is how you create generational Absolutely. changes. Right? Is that we need to graduate? We need to we need to not only. Be become educated, but then in control of
1: education,
2: education. Take notes, Inter- millennials. enterprise, uh, business development, right? So that you uh-huh. create the conditions of employment that create your, your steps to self-determination. I mean, that's old language, yeah. but that was what all it was about. You have to be self-determined as a, as a people. And Absolutely. So, so then that's why I went to UC Santa Barbara, which also had, at that time, one of the better Chicano studies uh, departments in the state. The, pl- okay. the Plan de Santa Barbara, right, which was actually a master plan for Chicano activism, was written at UC Santa Barbara.
1: Wow. So you transferred from Cal State. Northridge. Northridge to UC Santa Barbara. Uh-huh. And then you finished your.
2: I might. I, well, it was like, well, that was when, you know, we were I was going to pursue the teaching credential, the bilingual teaching okay, credential, right? Okay, so we're going to do the- Right, but then what What started this conversation about how, how to get involved, how I got involved in nonprofits was. While I was there, um, uh, a work study job came up, and the only one left, I got there late, was uh, um, for a, a position at a bilingual preschool called uh, the Shavasquez.
1: Okay. Right? And it was run
2: by the students. Te
1: Tocaba, that's okay. what it
2: And it was the only <laughs> job left, right? And I thought, oh man, I don't want to meet with kids, right? <laughs> but check it out. And I, uh, uh, that it was because it was run by the, the Chicano Studies Department, right? All of the, the, the students that were there were pursuing teaching credentials, right? So everybody that worked there were women. Oh. there were all the, the young Chicanas that were going to pursue teaching credentials. I was yeah. the only guy.
1: Interesting. Was it because you were late and all the other...
2: All the jobs were, sl- were, were, were... All the slots were filled and I had to have work study. Yeah. So when I showed up... I thought oh, I don't want to do this, right? But <laughs> I looked at and and all the everybody were the people at school, and all, and all I had to do was play with the kids. That's you know? funny. Yeah, but preschool, with, preschool. But you know <laughs> what? What turned out and what turned the career to work in nonprofits was that you know growing up from a broken family, and not having a, a, a father. What I learned right away that I would say three quarters of the children, and because they were yes. you know, from rural communities yes. in Santa Barbara didn't have their parents they didn't have fathers
1: so you were re- you could relate or they could, I, yeah. I knew
2: i knew exactly what was happening and and then i saw in a real practical sense that it was really not the 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 classroom that i wanted i want to design the first entry point of an educational experience which was preschool mm. because all the you know what you know, all research now is that for non-english speaking children if you don't get it if you don't get acclimated, and the parents, if you don't understand what time it is between preschool to the third grade, you're cooked. Yep, you're done. It's over. Yep. Right. And so, working with parents, you know, how are you going to be involved? Well, Marino, uh, I don't know how to read either. Okay.
0: Wow. Right. So you right. Okay. To well, then let's that.
2: let me let's take you to where you can because you're if you're going to be of help to your kid, you've got to be able to know how to read too. So, so we were designing entry programs for the entire family.
1: Interesting. Right. And this is work study.
2: This was work study. So <laughs> when, so when I c- it came time to graduate, I didn't go to the credential program. I I left to design bilingual preschool programs
1: straight through. Straight through. You were supposed to do this.
2: Yeah, and it was really weird because um, that was you know that was my my revolutionary effort, right? Yeah. Um, but the thing that happened was that it that the. That the way to create that new programming was through the nonprofit sector, right? Which uh-huh. you you build, you create Absolutely. a nonprofit, you yeah. write a program, you finance the program, and you deliver a program, which gives you a lot of control for what it is you want to do. So you don't tell everybody what you're really doing is creating revolutionary movement, yeah. right? Through you know having you know illiterate people become literate,
0: mm-hmm.
2: right? Because once you control that. Then, you know, you're a critical thinker, right? Absolutely. You can have your own library books, read whatever you want. Republican, Democrat, I don't care. Yeah. But you're educated. But you're educated. And so that's how I fell into the nonprofit sector. And that was 19, shoot, 1977, 78. And so that's been. In L.A., no, this was now in Redwood City. Uh, the, the first job I got was uh, the Community Education Center in Redwood City. Okay. And that's where that started. So
1: interesting. But we are at our coffee break. We're a little bit past okay. our coffee break. So let's get to our coffee break. All right. So today we're going to talk about café. I say all, all the names that sound in Spanish, I just say them in Spanish. And then other people, they're like virtuoso. I call it Café Virtuoso, but it's really Café Virtuoso, I guess. I don't know. And basically, it's a it's a coffee roaster in San Diego. It's Their address is 1616 National Avenue, if you are ever in Barrio Logan. That's where they're located. I've been there. It's
2: delicious it's coffee. It's
1: beautiful, yes. And they are the only roaster in San Diego that provide 100% certified organic coffee and tea. So they've made that commitment to the city and their coffee is delicious and I had a nitro coffee and it was awesome because I'm wired for the for the next 2 days. Have you ever had a nitro?
2: No, I saw it listed there. I again I said I'm really old school, man. Just do <laughs> yeah. you know, I want to just, you know, French maybe French press, you know, just give me the and drink in black. That's I, it. That's it. That's, okay. all, that's how I want. I it.
1: Drink, I like black coffee. It's it's good. It, I feel like you get to really enjoy it.
2: Well, you get to real. I mean, you get to really taste and why the it's, a, it's yeah. a why it's a premium coffee and where it comes from. And then and, and I I like that, but yeah. you know the old kind of nitro and you know <laughs> and, the, and the and the additives. You know, I don't. Know, I, can, I can. I I pass on that.
1: Okay, I like black coffee. So Cafe Vertuosa. If you ever come to or you want to check out a cool coffee shop. Come to them. Back to the show. <laughs> All right, so that's how you basically got into the nonprofit sector, by creating bilingual preschools or programs. Right,
2: right, and then what the key function of any nonprofit is financing it, right, which you were just talking about, right? You've got to raise money to deliver the program, and if it grows, you know, well, there you are. If you're going to hire somebody, there you are. If you're going to buy equipment, there you are. I mean, so... Um, I mean, i got I became good at that by necessity. yeah, and one of the things that that you know uh, why you know I'm now in business with my son, a millennial who is academically very well trained in the yeah. sense of just you know the 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 public policy of social, socialization, right yes. You know, and he has all that. But I think what the thing that we're now looking at is, if you really want civil society to innovate to meet the needs of changing communities, it can happen through the nonprofit sector, but a key element of that is you have to finance what it is you're trying to do. Yeah. Right. So which is where do you get the money? Mm. Right? Because I don't know anybody that's independently wealthy. But there's new but the new the new millennial generation in terms of technology and social media is really the innovation. That I mean because in growing up with my son, right, who's, you know, has his his phone and stuff. <laughs> and and with my I have two other daughters that are that are, you know, 21 and up and and asking questions you know it's like they would look at me and oh, dad man do you know that's, you're so lame" it's, you know you know g you know gts it and I'm like what the, you know just tell me what it is It's no gts it I'm not going to help you anymore so I didn't know what that was right <laughs> so it's like you know google that shit right right you know you and and so he was like oh, "let me show you" How to work your phone, right. right so that you can go here, go there, you know so you don't ask us anything yeah so, so 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 I did it because I was ty- it pissed me off. I was tired of asking them for stuff, so but I realized that in my generation of of you know activist leadership, that is i'm sixty three, so you look at my generation and you look at technology and social media, yeah. I mean, I'm ahead of where they were, right. Because I was already mm-hmm. working it anyway, but I'm thinking, you know, uh, that is a real failing point for the activist organizations that are led by that generation. And I'm not bagging their commitment or passion. I'm just saying that technology and social media is a game changer.
1: Absolutely. right.
2: And and that's how you communicate. That's yeah. how you're relevant. That's
1: how things go viral. And that's world. how
2: you can fundraise. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That, okay. So, so my son and I were talking, I said, well, then why don't we combine the generational perspectives of of progressive politics to the nonprofit sector, right? Mm. Which then, you know, because you cannot reject this history. You know, progressive politics has its role and its place. The women's movement, the Latina movement, uh, African-American women in that movement, LGBT community. I mean, you cannot separate any of that. You have to be good at it. Yeah. But- to finance solutions, you have to be good at what it now means, right? So, so we came together to work um, in that field because financing through technology and social media is really how it's going to get done, yeah. right? And we're all moving in that direction, but
1: everyone's in their phones all the time.
2: Yeah, but you know, to what end? I mean, I mean right. that that's one thing, but you know, how do you? You know, how do you create movements of people,
1: Mm -hmm. right,
2: to to be self-determined on their own terms, right? I don't have to.
1: Black Lives Matter.
2: All of that. I mean, I use that example a lot in terms of just how within 18 months two years, how they went from that just, you know, activity to show how many men and women were being shot and killed at the hands of police. Yes. By just keeping a record that that is now one of the cutting edge definitions of. Are you relevant,
1: right,
2: to the black community by virtue of the fact that you have to know how they created that movement, and for elected officials to say they're going to be relevant, and you don't know what that meant, yeah. I mean your 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 campaign's over, yes, right. So everybody has to be a student of of movement now. That you that your technology, there's no reason, there's no way that you can be ignorant. Absolutely. There's just, I mean, because you can just GTS it.
1: <laughs> That's right. And
2: if you're not GTSing it, then I'm not going to talk to you. Right. You know, I mean, my, my son has an attitude about, man, if I can't get to you in four clicks, I'm not talking to you. <laughs> and, I, no, and I tell people that. Yeah. I had a conversation with somebody else, you know, my age. And I said, you know, I said, you know, what do you have, what do you use on your phone? You know, your your Facebook, you know, okay, you post your dog, your cat, stuff like right. that. Right. But she wants to open her own business of acupuncture, and I said, "Okay, let me show you why this is important." I got the phone, and within four clicks, I found an acupuncturist in San Diego. Mm. And I said, "See, that's your competition, right? Right? Because four if some four clicks, four clicks, and if if some my back hurts or whatever my need is, and if I can't find you in four clicks, you're not there.
1: You're irrelevant. And
2: you, oh man, you should you should see it. She looked like I slapped her. Wow. Yeah, because the 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 focal went off like oh my god." And I said, you've got a phone. I mean, she had a, 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 an iPhone 7.
1: Oh, my gosh. Yeah.
2: And, and then what are you doing with it? Well, you know, I mean Take nine- uh, cute pictures. Well, yeah. I said, no, your website, your outreach, your Facebook, your Twitter. I said, you have it? She goes, no. And I said, okay, you are non-existent. Yes. And I didn't, I didn't do that to her other than to demonstrate for our age group. It's not a, it's not a natural inclination. Because, right? well, I don't want my my personal I said, you know what, that that ended. everyone's
1: life is is public now. Right.
2: You can manage that. Right. Right? You don't put new photos up. I yeah. mean stuff like right. that. Right. <laughs> but you but if you're gonna be in business and that's your slice, yeah. And you're an Asian acupuncturist practitioner, there's a role for you out there. But you've gotta you know, you got to find create, your audience. You gotta find create your, space.
1: Absolutely. So interesting. So I wanna talk about your kind of like your journey because you came from a previous generation and how was what was it like to for example you you worked with Nike right and what what was it were you the only Latino were you was there more what was it like
2: well I think in the whole career in, in organized philanthropy because once I got involved in nonprofit development then I my first job was working with a uh a private foundation, the James Irvine Foundation, because what as an advocate, then you become a critic of, of investors. Why yeah. why isn't philanthropy funding this, and why aren't you funding that? So, I made a big stink, and then like this guy called me and said, "Well, look, if you're so smart, why don't you come you know, try to do it?" <laughs> and you know how hard is how hard is that, right? Right. And that started a, a career in philanthropy that that it uh, that again I didn't think it was going to lead to a career career. Yeah. Uh, but that's kind of what started, and so. I have a number of uh, experiences and years in in designing um, philanthropic programs that make grants available to communities. Right, designing the initiative, writing the guidelines, picking the partners, making the grants, making recommendations for more grants evaluations. So, so again, because of that early
1: absolutely approach
2: about what works and creating a network of activists, I I, I benefited from. The early days of philanthropy, wanting to invest in race relations, women's issues, uh, uh, affordable housing—you yeah. know—that are the the things that are we're dealing with today. Um, Nike called me because I don't know if you remember that Nike had um, a problem with uh, having their products made offshore. You know, the whole child yes. child labor, yes, right. And so, what their response was is that Nike said, "We're going to give away." 3% of our pre-tax earnings in philanthropy, which was huge, mm. right? I mean, and, but they said that before they could figure out how they were going to do it.
1: Interesting.
2: Right. So they, 3% they,
1: is a big deal for a huge For a major corporate, like
2: a global company, that's a lot of money. <laughs> so um, I got called and I was asked to come and help them design the Nike Foundation. And so that was when we moved uh, from, we were living in Ventura County, Ventu Park. And we moved the entire family to Oregon.
1: To Oregon, right?
2: Portland, Oregon. Well, actually, Beaverton, Oregon. The headquarter, the world headquarters of Nike is in Beaver- Beaverton, Oregon. Wow. Right. So how far is that? That's about twenty miles outside of Portland. Oh, that's not bad. Beautiful place, Portland. I mean, Oregon is very progressive. It's yeah. Where, that's where they all. I mean, talk about uh, political people. That's got the highest concentration of anarchists than anywhere else in the in the country.
1: Interesting.
2: Well, people go up there to live off the grid. Yes. You know, you can. You it's know, so. Yeah, and so there's a lot of that. You know, there's oh. a lot of people who are no government. Mm, right.
1: That's right. Yeah, because I went to Oregon and I was like, These people are different.
2: Yeah. So there's a lot of extreme, but they're you know they have they have Mexican there. Mexicans there. But they're, you know, again, the they're the service industry, the farm workers, mm-hmm. the janitors, stuff like that. Yep. Uh not a lot of uh professional Latino Mexicans that are in the area. So we were very much, you know, uh you know, unique creatures. And once and then, you got up there. Yeah, and then at Nike itself, I mean they're not real big on diversity. And it's not because they don't try. Uh they in fact that was one of their shortcomings. They would recruit a lot of good talent. But if you're bringing people from New York, from Los Angeles, San Francisco, and you're coming to a very. <laughs> to
1: Oregon? <laughs> yeah, you know,
2: and then, you know, I mean, there's not a lot of diversity. Where do In you get the your, town, yes. yeah. Where do you get your haircut? Yeah. Where do you eat? And so people, what they would do, they would stay there for a number of years and then leave. They yeah. would go back to urban centers, right?
1: So they had a, a huge turnover.
2: Always. They of had a big problem retaining minorities. talent. And it wasn't because they didn't like it there. It's a very good company. But, you know, and, and being sports affiliated, right. I mean, I mean that was just a lot of fun. You know, soccer, golf, football, baseball. Yeah. And, and um, you know, so designing the, the Nike Foundation to be more of a, of a corporate social responsibility partner, right? So that the philanthropy was tied to how they were going to change their corporate image globally, right? And right. so one of the innovations there was it wasn't so much... Um, child labor that they were involved with is, is that the business units were picking the wrong contractors in those countries to mm. make their products, right? So it was
1: on the contractors, but it ended up being on Nike.
2: Exactly. Well, I mean, because nobody cares right. that you're not actually doing the contract, yeah. the work. It's a, but you, Who you, does it? Yeah, yeah, but you picked the wrong person. So yeah. what, after we went around the block so many times, the business units came back and we said, look, here's the feedback, right? You're picking the wrong partner. And you know, and that's what what happens in philanthropy and corporate, in yes. corporate dynamic. the 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 business unit doesn't like to hear anything. What's
1: right, right? You know, hey, What's we good for the we're business. making
2: profit, right? Yes, yeah. But long term, the profits were suffering as a result of the of the advocacy of global of global organizations saying you're you're wrong because you're using child labor or you're mm-hmm. you're not using you know having sanitary I mean all that Conditions. stuff right
1: and at the end of the day that's what people see that's part of the brand
2: that's what part of the brand so what we what we did was then let's pick the partners differently and so that they have to apply to accept a ah. micro contract
1: Okay. And so if, yes, okay, if we're
2: going to yes. pick you as our partner, then you have to have bathrooms, you have to have education programs, Should you have to picky? have Oh yeah, and one, yeah. and and well, we're going to so if everybody saw that we picked you and what you had to do in your factory, yeah. right? They either chose to apply or they didn't. Huh. Right? But those that did got multi-year Nike uh, contracts to make shoes and clothing.
1: Wow. And
2: so the workers and because the workers were very different. I mean the workers there and I went to China and different places to see the actual the actual contract sites. Like um in China what you really would have people who would come to the factory to just work 5 years. Wow. Right? And their all their their food, their their you know that's all subsidized so that they would save all their money and in 5 years they went back to their villages to buy property Cows, whatever whatever they wanted,
1: so they could sustain right. themselves. Right, right,
2: and so when we found what that was, that was the cycle of what the the population really wanted. They didn't want to work in a in a factory. They really wanted to finance, mm. you know, a fertilizer company in their community.
1: Wow. So
2: when Nike got to see what what was really taking place, they built programs of support. So, they, oh, oh, so you want to be okay. a firm? Okay. So, we got people, they got people together and actually provided technical assistance to that expertise.
1: And that's the program that you, that's the, that's foundation. what we helped,
2: that's what we helped design.
1: How long did it take?
2: Well, I mean, I was there three years, but the, my three years were more on how Nike was going to solve the, for the 3% commitment. Okay. Right? Which was, in one way, really easy because a lot of what Nike was doing for, products that were uh, uh, damaged or just, you know, they would destroy it. Right. The clothing and the shoes and stuff. Because if we didn't, it would end up in the black market and then people would sell it. Right. So what they would do was destroy it. And I'm thinking, you know, Jesus, bros, man. And this is worldwide. So what we did is negotiated contracts with uh, international NGOs that were disaster relief. That would contractually, we would say, we're going to give all of this to you. But you can only use it in disaster yes. relief. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And guarantee that it's not gonna be sold. And they would say yes because one of the you know they
1: need it. They need it. Yeah.
2: So that in kind contribution has a dollar value.
1: Yeah.
2: Right. You don't pay, you know, you, you don't charge two hundred and fifty dollars per pair of tennis shoes, you're you're charging a dollar. An
1: actual yeah, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Right.
2: Right. Yeah. Whatever because it's a donated cost. Well, when you deal in that kind of volume and you're actually keeping track of it, we were able to meet our first year commitment. That first year, by just counting what we no longer destroyed.
1: Wow!
2: Right. So then when we started to pick NGOs better. The efficiency, you know, improved. Um, they were able to make you know um, clothing and shoes available uh, for schools. For I mean, it, it, it just took off. It was a natural connection of just that needed
1: to be done. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. And so, so cool. Yeah.
1: And how how diverse was it? Was it hard? Have you ever faced with all of your years of? experience in the nonprofit of being a Latino
2: well in, in many cases at like Nike I was the only spot in the room I mean in, in many cases I was the only Latino in the room How and this that? was uh, well I mean I had preparation for it so I never got heard about it, it it's hard yeah right but you know um, I also got to represent a global company at a global level and be the only Latino in the room so when they would say okay what what does that mean Mariano and the responsibility of being able to say, okay, well, look, here's my data, right? Yeah. Here's how you can make friends. Yeah. But that, but that wasn't the first time I had done it. At Nestle, I was it's I Nestle first too? doing yeah. that, and, and Nestle had a huge issue because remember the infant formula? Yes. Huge, huge, huge. So I was hired to help Nike, uh, Nestle manage the infant formula issue, right? Huh. So it was a uh, a lot of my background is in um, turnaround. Yes. You know, brand management, reputational management. It has a names make now. Make it better. Well, yeah. And, then, and a lot of what you make better is not by what you give money to. It's is how you do it and who you work with to do that, which means you really have to be straightforward and honest about what you're trying to do. Yeah. Right? Right. And the whole thing with Nestle, yeah, was, you know, that was just something that, you know, they, they're they a case study for what not to do. mm Right? because they're a European company and they didn't want reputation. And the infant formula was really simple, was that they were making infant formula available to third world countries, right? Not to replace breast milk. You know, That's what they got charged with. Yeah. that um, They still get charged with that. But they were making the product available to different countries. Um, what they failed to do was to instruct women who couldn't breastfeed that you couldn't dilute it, and 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 because there was no support education behind at,
1: it. behind
2: that, huh. what, what 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 is what is the first thing that a poor woman does? Any poor person?
1: Yeah, you diluted because you, you, dilute you don't it. have enough, <gasps> and
2: they diluted it with contaminated water.
1: Oh my god! And
2: that's what caused the 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 deaths. Was not was not the, the intent. Formula. It was the formula being diluted. So the the correction was. No, you need women who speak the language that work in the hospitals to
1: teach the to other teach
2: them. One. Okay, I mean, you know, which all you have to do is boil the water. Yeah, right. That's then it. you can dilute it. Right. <gasps> so what came out of that was a lot of of, of uh, preventative um, learning that addressed um, dysentery the things that were actually really taking place in these in these villages mm-hmm. by virtue of you know you always have to boil water yeah. before you you do anything right right and that cut a lot of the dysentery that killed a lot of children regardless of whether they were using infant formula or anything but the practice of knowing that you just you know to, to you just have to always boil water that simple. But yeah, but Nestle wouldn't talk about it because they didn't want anybody to know that. Because if you said it, then would you know it would connect you back to that.
1: Ah. And I was telling ta- I was telling them,
2: no, you just got to tell him how you made the mistake, right? You know, it wasn't some you know black magic, you know, yeah, you know thing, stuff. you know. No, you made you made a corporate mistake, and mistakes are made all the time. What we don't know how to do is to say, you know what, we made a mistake, right? If you look at Tylenol, I maybe mean, that's a, that's a case study, right? When that happened. Everybody uses them. Takes, you know. They they immediately stopped. They recalled everything. They made a mistake. Yeah, and said somebody tampered with it. Yeah, and it was over, right? Because they didn't try to make anything more of it, other than to say, you know, there's a mistake. It happened. Yeah, it happened. Here's here's the correction. Right.
1: Wow. So, so so interesting. We could sit here and talk about all your jobs for hours, but we're already almost at an hour. Isn't that crazy? Nuts. <laughs> So you've done, and everything really you've done is with nonprofits.
2: Yeah, I mean, oddly, and I mean, I didn't, you know. Well, I mean, there's corp for-profit corporations, but it's always been their their corporate responsibility to the nonprofit sector. So, Interesting. right. So, um, I worked with major foundations and corporate giving programs, but it's always to the benefit of the nonprofit sector and issues in the sector. Right. Okay. How to guide their money. How to guide their investments, in the sense that then then they feel good about what they invested in, right? That it really did what it was supposed to do, right? Right. Right. Um, and that's turned out to be a, a career. Yeah. How odd, huh?
1: Yeah. Did you ever think?
2: No. In fact, you know, when people <laughs> talk how I got into it, I mean, I fell into it. But you know, what what my partner and I are, are talking about now in terms of this work, you know, the for the millennial. You have to be intentional about what you want. Yes. Right? Because everybody wants these these jobs, right? Yeah. And you know, and, and I'm not saying that they're not gonna be successful in getting these kinds of jobs. You know, th- what you really have to have first is the intention of what mm-hmm. you want to do anyway in the community. And you'll find that an employer will find you right because you have intent, you're clear, you're good at what you do, Focused. you've got a good network, and that's who they want. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then they pick you for this kind of gig right? Trying to bypass that. And, and cause you can't create passion. You can't create, right. you know, that, you know, and there's, so, there's so many posers out there, right? <laughs> you know, that, that, you know, you're just talking about that because, you know, you're looking you to, want to get in, you want it, you want yeah. that gig. Right. Yeah. And, and there's people out there who are set up to, to sift out who are posers and, you know, who really, who, who really has the goods, right. Right. Of being a sustained activist.
1: So what would you say to the new activists now that are trying to build a movement? You know, one thing I've, I I go to conferences and and networking events and all these stuff, and I've heard multiple times, we need a black lives matter for Latinos, or we need our next whatever, like, and they mentioned somebody else. So what would you say? Why do you think it hasn't happened really?
2: Um, well, I, I think it has happened, but not to the kind of, uh, you know, the scale that Black Lives Matter did. And I think that's what's kind of unfortunate because you want, you know, that's that's what hit. Everybody wants that. Well, it's, it, you know, lightning isn't going to hit there Everywhere, like that, yeah. right? Yeah. But the work never, never stops. I mean, the organizing always continues, right? Because if you ask anybody in that organization that created that movement— you know, it was who knows who. Are we talking? Are we having cafe? You know, what are the things? And you create a network, and you'll. Interesting, the interesting thing that always happens is that a good idea with good support that is organic, that, that, that'll grow legs.
1: Absolutely. Now,
2: now technology and social media take advantage. Is, is, well, that's your, that's your canvas. Yeah. Right? I yeah. mean, it doesn't mean that it has to be that. It could be something clearly different, but you have to be ready for the opportunity. You can't be a poser and then and then show up and then get the opportunity because you'll blow it. Everybody right. will know we, which I've learned from my son, is that you know the you know social media is just so unforgiving. Well,
1: they'll unfor- crush you. Oh yeah,
2: it's over. <laughs> I mean, you won't get another shot. Would, yeah. The, the the only thing you have is your organicness, your intent. So if it's wrong or you made a mistake, well, yeah, shit. This was the, the this is what we were trying to do, right? right? I think that is forgiving. People say, okay. You took a shot, man. That, yeah, that's that's bold. Yeah. Right?
1: I was talking to a friend recently, and she's a business owner, and she, you know, I ask a lot of questions, even though we're, even if just it's just a conversation, and she was telling me that she's faced a lot of the, ¿cómo se dice? El cangrejo effect. You know, the one Oh, yeah, the,
2: the crabs pulling. The crab, everything?
1: yeah, the crab effect, and she was telling me that it, she's seen it a lot with Latinos and Latinas when it's this like let me pull you down because I'm trying to get up there. So do you think that do you think that's true? What is your experience?
2: Well I think I think a lot of that in B that's true in any any culture, any yeah. group of people, right? Um and, and I think that's just an easy response to it because, you know, uh, it it all depends on what what crabs and where you hang out. Yeah, I mean, you, I mean, rules of engagement. I'm not going to do that to you. You're going to do that to me, right? That's right. just it's unethical. Right, right. So, you, so your your crew has to have some some values and ethics, <laughs> right? You Pick know, your
1: peoples. Yeah,
2: you know, uh, uh, you know, you can come, but the rest. You then you say, you know what? Take a hike, man. It's all of us or nobody. Right. And and, and if and if that gets around, right? You know, as a as a as a somebody working for. For organizations that make cash investments, that's how I would look for people. I would, I would, I would go look for my grantees, right? Even before they asked to apply, mm. I would say, okay, who do you hang? What do you do? And, and check that <laughs> who out. Are your friends, yeah. Well, exactly, you know. Yeah. And so, and if I would say this and say, no, we don't do that, man. We don't hang that way, you know. Where are you from? You should leave. Right. Oh, I. Oh, OK. We got, you know, and and because when you get into this kind of work and to, and to be serious, because it gets really hard to do this kind yeah. of work. You know, if, if you're going to get blown out on the on the first push, man, you know, man, it's easy. Right. You want people who are like, nah, no, nah, no, nah. right. we're here. Yes. Who do we got to talk to? We're Let's keep le- knocking yep. on the door because that's what gets a grant or an investment investment. Um, made that successful, but that's the quality of the people that, that are going to carry it for you. Absolutely. Right. So, you know, that's an easy metaphor, but I'm not sure that's so true anymore because I don't, I say, I think people pick their, their friends carefully, their crews, you know,
1: you. you I think you get what you give too.
2: That's very true. And I think that again, generosity in the sense that, and I tell, you know, my business partner ideas are, man, I got ideas all the time. Right. It, Implementation <laughs> implementation separates ninety percent of the people because yes. you'll say, Okay, let's meet tomorrow, yes. Saturday at nine AM and I'll bring the coffee, you bring the fun, and let's figure out how we're gonna do it. Yeah. yeah I get and that group. Never- yeah, you know. But if you get three people and then you start okay, and then and then and then people start hearing that, you know, there's some really interesting things that's happening at your table. Mm. You know, then they're gonna walk over.
1: Absolutely. You know,
2: and, and it's just there's no Substitute for that. There really isn't.
1: I, I agree. So, what would you say to young, new nonprofits that are starting out, or someone who wants to start a nonprofit? What would your recommendation be? Oh man,
2: pops and I had this. We were yelling at each other last night about this. <laughs> well, I mean, literally, I mean, because I mean, look, and and, I, and I've told them there there is nothing new in the nonprofit sector in terms of solution. It's all been done. I call it painting the blue Buick red. It's still yeah. what it is, right? Just painting yeah. another color. The th- what's, what's different is its application. Mm. Are, you cor- are you have the right time? Are these the right conditions? Are these the right people? And is this the right solution? So if you got an idea for a nonprofit, I, I don't think that's a bad idea. But I'll guarantee you, if you looked around, especially now you could just GTS it, <laughs> you can find out who's already doing the work.
1: Yeah.
2: Right? So if you're interested, go talk to them. Find out what they maybe they need you, just you. They don't need an, another nonprofit. They just need your insight, your energy, whatever you know how to do, and contribute to that. And two things happen: you learn people who are doing the work. You learn what it really takes to do the work. Yeah. And after really looking at it, you might not want to do that. Right. Right. So the the arrogance that you have that you know well, you're just going to go ahead and do it, and you haven't done your homework. Then what's going to happen is you go to a funder. Because I've learned how to GTS it, right? <laughs> oh, you're gonna. Oh, you're you're the the most innovative. Nobody knows, and I and I and I you know, and I've done this to people before the internet, because I had a, a Rolodex, right? Right. And I, right. I, I, hey, I hey, I got this person saying that they're the they're the cats meow. Oh yeah, they were just here. Man. That's a big he's a just fool, right?
1: Interesting. Right,
2: and then people call him, and then you find out. You know, I just called. Three people, and you know there's four organizations within five blocks of who you are that are already doing what you do, and none of them knew who you were. So why don't you go talk to Let's them and then and then give me a call. Get All right. Get involved, I guess. Get involved. I mean, so I'm not saying there's there's not a new approach that a new nonprofit could achieve or that your perspective, but creating a nonprofit is a vehicle to do something that you've not investigated. You know, you're, you're making it harder for the organizations that have been there doing it. Because philanthropy is always looking for the new shiny thing, yeah. right? And what we find, especially in poor communities that are managed by by people of color, right? What I'm finding is you've got a lot of these new people, the millennials coming and saying, yeah, I know how to do that. Going to the front of the line, right? And yeah. they're getting funded and, and with with really scarce money. And they have absolutely no idea what they're doing. Yeah. But they're just speaking for your community. Yeah. Right? And this happens a lot. You know, organizations who serve Latinos. Yes. Right? So they're getting funded. They're, they're hiring people. Oh, they got, you know, yeah. And then we're going to deliver a program to you on, on teen pregnancy prevention. Yeah. But they didn't ask you. And they're going to deliver a program. And, we're gonna, and and the program is, let me show you a, vi- a video. And it's going to say, uh, uh, you just say no. right and then they wonder why you're then you wonder why the $250,000 grant to work in Latino communities right to just say no uh why it didn't work because the the Latinas didn't have any input to the product right you didn't ask you know and oh and and it's going to be a it's going to be delivered in a in a three color page brochure And all these Jatinas have their little phones. Right. Right? Seriously? You think I'm gonna take I'm gonna I'm gonna read a flyer when (laughs) I have my phone. You can text it
1: to me? Yeah. Tweet it to me.
2: There's a lot of that. So I I have a we have strong opinions about that. But you know what? People are gonna do what they do, but you know, it all comes out in the wash, right? Either you're relevant or you're not. And if you're funded and become irrelevant, I'll guarantee you that'd be the last grant that you get. Because nobody wants to waste that kind of money.
1: So for someone who already has a, a nonprofit established, getting funding, I guess, is the most important thing, right?
2: Well, yeah. And, well, sustainability. How do you mm-hmm. stay alive? I mean, so that's a business plan, literally. You know, how do you stay in business, mm-hmm. right? Because if you've created a program that people need and want, especially if if it's for poor people mm-hmm. and they can't pay you for your service, that means that you have to subsidize it. So you have to have a plan for how you're going to deliver that. Because if you don't, you're going to disappoint that community. You're going to create expectations that you can't deliver. And that sometimes is more painful than had you just left it alone. Because yeah. now, now you created it, but you need, people need help and you, you can't yeah, do you it. Yeah, you
1: created the buzz and then you're not delivering anything. Yeah, And because I have listeners that are from all kinds of ages, I feel like millennials are not as involved with... Nonprofits as we could Do you agree?
2: I agree with that statement
1: Do you How could someone find Or Basically how could could A a millennial Or just someone who wants to get involved Like where could they start
2: You know That's such a good question Because I think that It starts with the intention of the millennial Of what they want for themselves Right not to already, you know, because and my son and I we debate this a lot because millennials feel that they already know what the solution is, right? I already know it. I know what how I want to spend my time, I know how it looks, and you know, and you're just old, right? And and I, and I understand that. That's great. I mean, that's great having that point of view. But an organization that's already doing something who could really benefit from your skill sets and what you know how to do, you can't walk in with that a predetermined notion. To a sixty-five-year-old veteran, Yeah. I mean, it's oil water; it it doesn't mix. So, how is it that you pick organizations in a very specific sense, negotiate what it is that they really need and want, and deliver that, and then that way you get to look at each other and find out: Do you have mission agreement?
1: Mm. Because find a cost.
2: Yeah, well, yeah, and you find and and you find a way to do it, but you got to pick the organization. That give that really creates the passion that you're going to work through at that BS, because there's always BS, man. I've never heard of a perfect, you know, position anywhere. The <laughs> BS is on both sides.
0: Yeah.
2: But that's all negotiable if you're really clear on where the you want to. Ultimate wanna, goal. Right? Do you really want to help people, or is it animals, or is it plants? I mean, what is it? That's going to find a way to get solved. Yeah. Because you're smart enough to know. Hey, I can learn here and they can learn from me. And if you got a good exchange, you're not going to lose.
1: Very nice. Cool. I have so many questions, but we need to wrap it up because we are out of time. (laughs) It went by quick.
2: It did. Thank you.
1: (laughs) Thank you. So much to talk about. Okay. So explain to us, what do you do now? Like after all your experience with the nonprofits, then you you have all of these years of knowledge and, and wisdom and, and experience and now what did you decide to do that you do now? Uh, well we
2: I have we have our own firm in which we are picking progressive issues to work on, and they are they're all and you know this through this new administration. Um there's an urgency to this in the sense of immigration in terms of health funding, in terms mm-hmm. of education funding, and you know, this is the time for people to really get practical about what we're going to do, because financing is going to start disappearing. Mm. Right. That's what happens when you have a new federal administration. And he's telling you, if, if people didn't believe what he said, you really got to. He's right. He's He told you at the beginning, and now he's doing it. So if you're surprised, too bad. <laughs> I mean, he's going after immigration.
1: Yeah.
2: Right. He's looking at how to how to, how to, how to stop funding. Progressive movements that are on campuses,
1: oh, right? yeah.
2: Right? Yeah. How to look at defunding health access for poor women, Planned Parenthood. Yep. Now, and and so if you are an organization that's being funded by federal and state monies, understand that these programs were created over maybe 25, 30 years of just how you get money. And the federal government yeah. supports, what, almost 80% of all of these kinds of support services, right? Yeah. That's how we get. It's a lot of money. That's, yeah. So if he's going to one stop the funding or make it hard for you to qualify or it's for citizens only, then you've got to start thinking through the scenarios of how do you survive in that. How are you environment? to get
1: more funding, yeah. Right. Yeah.
2: Which means, again, back to the millennial population and, and technology and social media and the idea that Pops and I again we'll have drinking beer at the fall last night, <laughs> is how do we get, you know, local businesses to say, you know what? We're all sitting here drinking your premium beer. You know, are you, wh- wh- what are you doing with your profit? Right. You know, this is a local Are community. you giving back? Are, okay. You're saying, okay, pick an issue. You say women are important? Okay. I should see right there on your billboard that you fund Plant Parenthood San Diego, you fund child care centers or whatever, and you fund, you know, uh, immigration services at IRC, whatever that it is, I don't care. And that every time I buy a beer, you know, 1% of what I'm buying goes goes back. Right. And so you could have like, we were making it up last night. You could have like, you know, rolling, you know, every quarter, you know, people get to see how much is actually being generated as revenues and contributions from everybody sitting here.
1: Yeah. Such a great strategy because that increases, that increases sales for the, for the profit, for profit business. And also give us back to the nonprofits. Right.
2: If you don't like it, don't drink here. Right. If you like it, buy a pint. Thank you. Yeah. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. There's there, But that's I think we have to be very local for how we're going to finance what we care about, the arts, youth yes. programming, so that businesses see their direct connection between their product and service and the people who support it. And a percentage just automatically gets contributed. Yeah. Right. And if you like it, then
1: transparent. I think transparency is transparency
2: is everything. Yeah. And if it's on a billboard, then you know, there's no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. Hold them
1: accountable. They hold themselves accountable. It's clear, open, and everyone knows what they're doing.
2: And the business owner can see directly that the people. You know what? I really like that. Can I write a check to you? Yeah. Yeah. You know, no, don't write a check. Just buy buy a keg.
1: Right. So smart.
2: Well, I'm just saying, there, there's, remember, ideas are not hard. It's <laughs> implementation, implementation. Yes. that gets uh, – but I think we're in a <laughs> real creative time. And what's next now is that we are trying to help individuals and organizations think through those scenarios, right? So that at the this time next year, you're still in business. Because if you're not thinking about it this time next year, more than likely you're not.
1: Right. You, yeah. I mean,
2: it won't be because you're not a good organization – you can't pay your bills.
1: So your, fil- or your firm, basically, assists with these types of projects or programs for the nonprofit sector.
2: Strategic thinking, looking at business development and financing, so that how you actually survive. Mm. You know, and if you're a progressive organization, I mean, we get to pick who we really want. I mean, I want to work with organizations that really want to do this work. I mean, I don't want to pull teeth. I right. mean, I mean, I mean the people I. I work with, I mean, I did that because there were major corporations, but they, not they everybody, paid yeah, yeah, yeah. they paid me, but not everybody wanted me to be there. Interesting. Right. They did not want me to be there because they're saying, oh, you're just giving away our profits. I said, okay, that's true. But I'm, repu- I'm managing your reputation so that you continue to sell products. Boom. Right. Because if, 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 if this whole other issue gets any bigger than what it is, you're going to lose your job too, bro. Right. Right. Because, you know, selling,
1: reputation is selling a
2: shoes for $200. Right? Think about that. Yeah. And who's buying all these shoes? Little brown, black kids, man. And who do you think is buying those shoes for them? Our parents that are working, you know, you think that cycle's not going to come back and bite mm-hmm. you? No, you better make it, you know, good that they're buying and happy that they're paying $200 for a pair of shoes. And those parents see that their child is happy and everybody's and groovy. And they want
1: to invest in that. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
2: So if you don't think there's a direct connection between reputation and, and corporate giving, then you just haven't been around.
1: Interesting so very interesting. Well, thank you so much.
2: Thank you for having me, I really appreciate it.
1: It, it was a lot of fun. I, I think we can do a second podcast on,
2: on any anything, other issue. <laughs> anything. Call me back. I mean, I just want to make sure that people know that there's options available and not to lose heart. Yeah, There's some really good people out there doing very important work and people should know about it.
1: Absolutely. So I ask two last questions to my listeners, but before we get to that, how can people find you? And your your custo- your clients are nonprofits, right?
2: Primarily, all nonprofits, right?
1: So, where if a nonprofit or someone who knows a nonprofit is listening and they want to get some consulting, where can people find you?
2: And we will do free consultations too. I mean, uh, you can uh, visit us at uh, R M Consulting. San diego.com
1: Okay, All
2: right.
1: <laughs> Should ask pops for that.
2: Yeah, that's why he knows all. He's all our stuff. And then you know we're li- we're listed by our name uh, on the internet, so we have a website. Come check out the website.
1: And you're on Twitter,
2: Twitter, Facebook, Twitter and Facebook. Yeah, yes, okay. find us that way too.
1: So I'll have the links of all your all of your pages in the show notes. And I'm updating my my website, listeners. So if you've been to my site and it's a mess, it's because it's been worked on at the moment. And the last two questions I ask is, do you have a remedy? Something because you know Latinos we're all about like natural remedies and like this weird. Como se dice, cosas like like don't go outside with your without shoes because you're gonna get sick or you know things yeah, like
2: that. La moyera, right? La mollera, yes. Okay.
1: So do you have something that either your family, your mom, your grandpa maybe did said to you when you were you remember?
2: I have all of those. I'm not sure that that, that <laughs> they work. The one that I, I practice myself is I use VIX for everything.
1: <laughs> You're like the fifth person.
2: <laughs> I use VIX. So I mean, well, it's because, a very Latino yeah, thing. it's a very practical thing for you know for a number of different ailments for sure. <laughs> That's
1: funny. It do vicks. you have another
2: one? Um
1: and Vicks.
2: <laughs> Vicks. Uh, let's see. Practical. No, I have. I have no other remedies other than, than that one.
1: But that comes to my right? Well, Chicken the,
2: soup. Caldo de pollo. Caldo de, de
1: pollo for the soul.
2: Caldo de pollo when people are feeling funky or or, or I need a need a uh, an aspirational moment to get centered. A good caldo cal- de pollo. Yeah. I, I make really good caldo de pollo. Nice. Yeah. See,
1: my favorite like is caldo de pollo and caldo de res.
2: That, you know, and also what we do, we do a lot, we brew a lot of our home tea. We, we always have Yerba Buena.
1: Yerba available. Buena. We always of
2: have course. Yerba Buena there. Yeah. Uh, we don't sweeten it so that people can you sweeten it. You don't
1: need them. it. It's, it's no, delicious. but it's, it's,
2: it's a good thing to drink better than water because, yes. you know, it's a detox. Yes. It's that and it's a, it's a good Yerba to have. Yes. So that's one. So this replaces replace Vicks with Yerba Buena.
1: <laughs> Yerba Buena and gato de Pollo too.
2: There you go. Let me
1: write it down. Yerba Buena. Do you have a place where you buy your... You
2: know buena? Yeah, uh, we go to you know I, I like really going to the Northgate Market. Yeah. Only because it's just so groovy to hang out there. I
1: know. I you should know, call them so they can sponsor. Eh?
2: You should. I mean, they're really. I mean, I think that market. I go there. I go there just to sit <laughs> because you know that that is a closed circuit yeah. in the sense that. They use their ingredients to make their products. Their own products. Their own products. Nothing goes to waste. Mm-hmm. They have all of the good yerbas, yeah, right? That yeah. you know, for, and they're
1: so affordable.
2: Well, that's what I'm saying because they sell so much in volume. Yeah, that you know, I buy my little yerba things for like it's a dollar it's twenty something, but a big bunch. Yeah, right. So that that you know, I I go there there and I go there to sit just to watch the gente and argue with their kids about, you know, <laughs> if they're going to buy them or not. So <laughs> I know. I'm, there, I'm there on a regular basis.
1: Very nice. So Yerba Buena Tea, and you can find it at Northgate maybe, I don't know, if at Amazon maybe? Or- I
2: don't know. Um, um, The other places are some of the Asian markets, some of the local places. Some of
1: the Asian markets. Oh,
2: right? yeah. They, they have the – we all carry – okay, it's the Yerba, Cilantro, I mean, that's the – the commonality yeah. Yeah. of our of our stuff. Then after that, it gets kind of weird.
1: Yeah, you know, I don't. I know. I,
2: you know, I uh, <laughs> my wife and I look at the fish balls, and we still can't figure out what it is that you would do with that. But I like looking at the different. Oh yeah. Variety.
1: That's funny, and you know what's funny is that I see a lot of of cultural. I don't want to say cultural appropriation, but it kind of is that it's like all of our yerbabuena and and manzanilla, te de manzanilla. You know, like all of that. It's kind of like. Like, arriving to the Anglo world, and it's like, oh, my gosh, awesome discovery. Mm -hmm. And And sell it back "Uh, to
2: you at premium prices. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. that's that's shocking. I mean, especially.
1: You're like, "Mm, we've done this for years. Do you
2: like chilaquiles? Yes. You know, I I can't order that in a restaurant.
1: You like, know because, it no, not, because, it's not good it's not, yeah. Well
2: no because we always would eat that at the end of the month because that's all there was was oh, the that's, yes, was left. that's all that was left. Oh. So uh, you know I I have seen them at, on 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 menus for like $16, $17. I look <laughs> at my wife and like my god, why am I going to pay you $17 to <laughs> eat That that just reminds me of how poor we were at the end of the month. Oh, that's
1: funny. Yeah. That's so funny. I love Mexican cu- cuisine. It's awesome. Oh.
2: What we grew up with.
1: Right. And the last question is what is do you have a quote, a favorite quote that you you resonate with, that you look at every day, or something that maybe a mantra or something? My that? mantra
2: has always been treat people how you want to be treated.
1: The golden rule. Mean,
2: that's it. I try to think that I try to always before I meet anybody new, before you know whatever we're doing is just how do people want to be treated, and if I can be the best representation of that, I I always get paid double for that. Mm-hmm. I mean, just by taking a moment, being kind in an introduction, um, doing that with older people by showing them a little bit of respect for who they are, and yes. you know, oh man, I get I get I get so much in return just Absolutely. thinking about
1: that. And I think it's important. Something you said that that's not as. Uh, what's the word, it's imp- not implemented, but as taught into young people anymore is to respect your elders. Yeah. Because I see it. And I still, even though I'm a millennial, I grew up with my grandma. And she was always like, no, people are the- like, re- like le- les hablas de usted. You know, the people that are older than you, you, like they're older than you for a reason. They've lived so much longer than you. You respect them. And I feel like younger generations don't necessarily... Give that respect to older people.
2: That's true. And it's sad. And, and, it's a, and it's a wasted opportunity because I think that if you just did that, you would you'd be just shocked what they give you for free. Right? Right. Everything. Just ask yeah. them.
1: Right. Yeah. I know.
2: <laughs> I, don't. I, don't, I, don't, I don't let that go by at all.
1: <laughs> I agree. Me too. Okay. So let me write down your quote. Go on don't do...
2: Treat people the way you, that you want to be treated.
1: Treat people not be like three times okay so you told us where we can find you on Twitter and your website and that's where nonprofits can approach you or anyone really- anybody
2: and again one of the things that we're doing now is uh, we're offering free organizational assessments right just to kind of I mean, so that where does, they are. Yeah, you know, and and just by what they tell us, what you know, what you know, what we think, you know, you might want to concentrate on.
1: Right, you know, and, and
2: that's for free. You know, if you need us to do something different, you can let us know what it is, and we'll be, we'll negotiate.
1: Very nice. I love that. Okay, listeners, thank you so much again. This thank you for great. having me. I really Hell appreciate the time. Yeah. This was good. Yeah, a lot of cool stories that you have, and and it was it was good to listen to. Something I don't want to say fresh because it's but it was fresh to me to go back in history almost.
2: We yeah, it'll repeat itself unless we do something different, I'll tell you.
1: Right. Alrighty. Well, listeners, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, leave me a review, and send me an email if you want to tell me something. Follow me on Instagram at Cafe Compam Podcast. On iTunes, it's Cafe Compound Podcast. I'm also on Stitcher. On SoundCloud and another one, any any podcast platform, really, you can find me. You can listen to Henry Castro's music, which is, he's the producer of the show. You can go to soundcloud.com forward slash Henry-Castro-1 and you can listen to his music. He is, like I said, the producer of the show and he, the song of the show, he produced it as well. He composed it. And thank you again for coming Thank you for all you do Thank you for all you've done And if I can help
2: you in any way Let me know
1: Yeah Alright listeners Also I have a PO box Where you can send me Anything you want You can send me coffee You can send me Letters You can send me Whatever you want That's safe For me to open Don't kill me and i will give it to you so you can send me something. It's P-All Box 33901, San Diego, California, 92163. I would love to receive some coffee from you and then be able to talk about it on the podcast and see what part of the world you're coming from or you're from. Cool. Do you have anything else to say to the listeners? Other than thank you. Well, thank you very much. And listeners, stay shining. <laughs>
0: At the Home Depot, the start of spring means it's time to add Vigoro and Earth Grow colored mulch to your list and your cart. Right now, get five bags at a special buy, just 10 bucks. Mulch helps retain soil moisture in shades of red, brown, or black. Hey, it's nice out. Today is the day for doing and mulching. With Vigoro and Earth Grow colored mulch, five bags, 10 bucks Only at the Home Depot. More saving, more doing. Color selection varies by store. Limits 60 for customer, continental U.S. only. At the Home Depot, the start of spring means it's time to add Vigoro and Earth Grow colored mulch to your list and your cart. Right now, get five bags at a special buy, just 10 bucks. Mulch helps retain soil moisture in shades of red, brown, or black. Hey, it's nice out. Today is the day for doing and mulching. With Vigoro and Earth Grow colored mulch, five bags, 10 bucks only. At the Home Depot, more saving, more doing. Color selection varies by store, limit 60 per customer,
2: continental U.S. only.